Hello, I'm Donovan Kane, and on this episode of the podcast, I'll read Chapter 3 from the romance novel by Samantha Cole, Take the Money and Run, Malone Brothers, Book 1. I will continue to read a chapter from this novel every night until the entire novel is finished, and I thank Samantha Cole for granting permission for me to read this on the podcast. And now, Chapter 3 of Take the Money and Run, Malone Brothers, Book 1. Chapter 3 What the hell? Mariah lowered herself to the couch and continued to stare at the door the stranger had closed moments before. She still wasn't sure what had just happened, or why the man, K.C. he'd called himself, was still here, and what she was going to do about it. There was no way she was going to be able to go back to sleep with a strange man across the hallway from her room. She couldn't force him to leave on her own, he'd proven that. She also didn't want to call Mr. Malone in the middle of the night to come get his nephew out of there. And she definitely didn't want to call the police to remove him. That would result in too many questions she couldn't answer. Mariah reluctantly realized her only option was to make a pot of coffee, stay up, and wait until Casey woke up. Then she would convince him he had to leave. If he wouldn't, she'd have to hit the road and disappear again. Four miserable hours later, Mariah was still sitting on the couch, the gun on the cushion next to her within easy reach, as she sipped her third cup of coffee. She didn't know why she bothered drinking the potent brew, because it was making her more nervous than she already was. Glancing around, she surveyed the family photos scattered about the room. Many of them were of Dan Malone, Casey, and his brothers, who were all quite handsome. Some photos were obviously of the boys in their youth with their uncle, and others were with a couple who she assumed were their parents. In one picture, the three prepubescent boys were dressed as cowboys. In another photo, they were wearing pint-sized military uniforms. There were also pictures of a much younger Dan and a beautiful blonde woman, and from how they looked at each other, it was apparent they were very much in love. Mariah wondered who the woman was and where she was today. Scanning the multiple frames around the room and in the hallway, she couldn't find any pictures of the woman in recent years, nor updated photos of the boy's parents. The Malones appeared to be a close-knit family, and Mariah sighed, wishing hers had been the same while she was growing up in Chicago. Her so-called father finally left her mother for good when Mariah was a teenager, after several long absences over the years. By that time, the dream of an ideal childhood had long since faded away. She knew her mother wanted and tried to be there for her, and her sister, but she worked long hours at two jobs to make sure there was a roof over their heads and food on the table. Her work and sleep occupied most, if not all, of her time. Fourteen-year-old Mariah taught herself to cook and helped around the house with laundry and cleaning. She tried to give her younger sister a sense of consistency and lead her in the right direction, but Susan, then eleven, was more interested in boys and eventually drugs than listening to her sibling. While Mariah was in their apartment doing her chores and homework, Susan was running with the wrong crowd and finding endless trouble to get caught up in. There were times she barely avoided being sent to juvenile detention. Now, Mariah wondered if her sister had ended up there, would she have turned her life around and still be alive today, or would the results have been the same? Susan's wild and promiscuous lifestyle caught up to her when she became pregnant at 17. The child's father denied the baby was his, and left town before he was born. 
but little Nicholas turned out to be a stabilizing rod for Susan as she tried to mature and become a good mother to her child. She agreed to drug counseling and found an evening job as a waitress at a local restaurant. With the extra income, their mother was able to quit her second job and help care for the baby. The little boy became the light of Mariah's life. She loved to come home from her part-time job or classes at the local community college to play with him. The sisters and their mother doted on him as much as possible, and Nicholas was a happy child, if not a little spoiled. Mariah loved going to the local dollar store, since that was all she could afford, and finding a new toy for him, or borrowing children's books from the library. Whenever she could, she'd read to him aloud, and it quickly became their favorite time together. As soon as Mariah finished one book, he was handing her another one. She lost count of how many times she'd read Winnie the Pooh to him. Things went very smoothly for the family for a few years. Nicholas had grown into a bubbly five-year-old and peppered everyone with why questions from morning until night. His grandmother appeared younger and more relaxed than she had in years. Susan was staying clean, and Mariah was one semester away from her teaching degree. It seemed as if things were finally going well for all of them. But about seven months ago, Mariah started to notice the telltale signs that Susan was using drugs again. Her sister would suddenly be short of money and had to borrow from Mariah and her mother. She'd begun asking them to babysit Nicholas more and more. She would also come home much later from the end of her shift at the local Chili's, and Mariah was left wondering if her sister still had the job. The most noticeable change was Susan's appearance, which began to go downhill as she cared less and less about her clothes and hygiene. Her weight dropped drastically. Mariah knew all the signs pointed to a crack cocaine user. Hell, their seedy neighborhood was full of them. Through the neighborhood grapevine, she discovered her sister was dating a small-time drug dealer named Leo Simmons. Mariah knew the asshole by reputation only. He'd started pushing drugs on his high school classmates before he was arrested and expelled for possession. At the time, he was still a minor, so the courts gave him a slap on the wrist and a short stint in juvenile detention. After his release, he returned to the drug business, and, if the rumors she'd heard were true, he was being protected by a few crooked cops. Mariah had given her sister an ultimatum, break up with the dirt bag or move out, without Nicholas. Mariah refused to allow her nephew to be exposed to his mother's dangerous lifestyle. Susan begged forgiveness and swore she would stop seeing Leo. She cleaned herself up again, and for a few short weeks appeared to be back on the right track. Mariah would never stop blaming herself for taking Susan's word that everything was going to be okay. Shifting on the couch for what seemed like the hundredth time in the past hour, she stared out the row of windows facing the beach. The sun was beginning its slow crawl up the clear horizon, bathed in the sky in hues of ripe pineapples, cherries, and tangerines. It was so beautiful and peaceful at the shore, and Mariah wished she could live here forever. The sounds of the pounding surf had comforted her over the past few days. She'd loved the feel of the silky sand between her toes on the few times she'd dared to venture out onto the beach. Charming was how she would describe Whisper, North Carolina. She'd seen the center of the little town twice, once when Dan Malone had driven her through it on the way to the cottage, and, then again, when she'd taken a cab to the grocery store to stock up on a week's worth of food. It was the type of town where people could easily walk around the mile length of stores and municipal buildings instead of driving. 
She wondered if they held picnics and parades in the main square on the 4th of July or any other day. She'd read about many small towns which celebrated that way in the romance books she'd cherished since she was a teenager. A voracious reader, she couldn't get enough of books. Since arriving in Whisper five days ago, she had already gone through two local history books she found on a shelf in the cottage and was currently on Chapter 5 of a well-read copy of Jaws. Growing up in Chicago, Mariah could never imagine living in a place that didn't bustle 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She was, however, beginning to think she could learn to enjoy the slow pace and quiet atmosphere of a small community. It was too bad she wouldn't be around long enough to find out. As the sun continued its climb in the east, the rest of the morning sky turned into a colorful mural, and Mariah contemplated her unexpected visitor. Casey was incredibly good-looking, and she was annoyed at herself for noticing. Well, any woman with a pulse would have noticed, she told herself. With broad shoulders and a chiseled chest and back, he stood about six-five, which was taller than most of the men she knew. Thick, medium-brown hair hung a few inches past the nape of his neck, and his wicked, hazel eyes were captivating. A scar over his right temple almost ruined what could be a movie star face. He hadn't used a razor in several days, and it just added to his bad boy attractiveness. In a snug black t-shirt and tan cargo pants, it had been blatantly obvious he was in excellent physical shape, and she wondered how he managed to stay that way. Shaking her head, Mariah tried to rid her mind of the images of the man. In a few hours, she would convince him to leave, then try to figure out what she was going to do next. Dan Malone hadn't run a credit check on her when she rented the cottage from him, nor did he ask her to sign a lease. She didn't tell him she wouldn't be staying long and let him assume she would be around for a while. No one in Whisper had any idea who she really was, and no one knew the horror which had taken over her world four short months ago and left her running for her life. Shit, she missed her family. Don't think about them. Don't think about Mama, Susan, and Nicholas. There's nothing you can do for them now. You're safe for a few days. Just think about what you're going to do next and where you're going to go from here. Mariah glanced at the closed bedroom door and prayed she was safe for now. Dan Malone straightened up his small kitchen as he waited for the pot of coffee to brew. His rescued Labrador mix, Jinx, lay across the threshold between the kitchen and living area, waiting patiently. A combination of at least three breeds, the gentle but protective mutt was a perfect companion for a single older man. Approximately six years old, he was completely charcoal black, except for the very tip of his tail and the area around his muzzle, which were stark white. As a result of his coloring, the big dog appeared to have a permanent grin. As a puppy, before he'd found his forever home, his tail had somehow been broken and it hung at a crooked angle. He was very affectionate, and Dan adored his canine sidekick. The dog never argued with or heckled him, like his three nephews enjoyed doing. Jinx was definitely his best friend in life, and neither of them would have it any other way. After the last of his nephews had ventured off into the military, Dan had found the beach house too quiet and moved into the one-bedroom apartment above the hardware store he owned. He preferred to keep both places exceptionally tidy. There was never any clutter, and everything was kept in its proper place, a throwback to his army days, he supposed. 
filling a large thermos with his daily dose of caffeine, which he would take downstairs to the shop, he wondered if Casey had arrived at the cottage and met Mara yet. He chuckled to himself, wishing he could be a fly on the wall for that encounter. Well, he was sure he'd hear about it soon enough. He was a true romantic at heart and thought it was about time his three nephews, Casey, Brian, and Sean, became ones too, with a little help on his part, of course. Dan had lost his one and only true love at 29 after barely two years of marriage. Falling hopelessly in love on a blind date, Annie and he had eloped after knowing each other three weeks. When she was diagnosed with leukemia almost a year later, at the tender age of 24, she'd begged him to leave her. This isn't what you expected or deserved when you married me, she'd told him. But Dan had refused to abandon her. They'd spent as much time together as possible and, between his job and her treatments and doctor visits, they lived and loved life to the fullest. They'd gone for long walks on the beach and picnics in the park. He would take her to interesting places he'd heard of or drive them around aimlessly, just to see different landscapes. She'd never been on a plane, and one day he'd arranged for an Army pilot buddy of his to take them up in his private four-passenger aircraft. She'd been able to experience the thrill of flying above the earth and loved every minute of it and he'd loved the smile that had remained on her face for hours after they'd returned home. Most of the time, though, they'd sat on the porch of the beach house they called home, watching the sunrises and listening to the pounding surf. He'd cherished every moment with her, greedily storing memories for the future. And at the end, he'd held his sweet Annie close to his chest as she passed into the afterlife and vowed he would love her always. In the years following his wife's death, Dan Malone became known throughout the small community as a collector of strays, animal and human. He was always bringing home lost or injured animals, much to Jinx's dismay, despite the dog being a rescued stray himself. Dan would heal those he could, before finding homes for each one of the wayward domesticated animals. The wild ones he would release back into their habitats once they were able to survive on their own. When it came to people, he never met a person in need who he didn't try to assist, even if it was only in some small way. Sometimes it was buying a meal or giving someone a ride. Other times, it might involve offering a few dollars just to help the individual get by. Mara Jennings was his new pet project, and in her case, she needed a place to stay. Dan knew there was more to Mara's story than what she'd let on. He had a sixth sense when it came to people like her, she told him she was recovering from an abusive relationship and was looking for a new place to start over. He suspected, however, there was a lot more she wasn't telling him. She appeared to be a strong woman, physically and mentally, and Dan couldn't believe she would ever allow a man to strike her or abuse her in any manner, at least not after the first time. Yet, he was a good judge of character and knew, whatever she was running from, the young woman needed his help. For now, he was letting her stay at the cottage and hoped K.C. would be able to get her to open up to him. It would probably be therapeutic for both of them. She needed a protector, and K.C. needed to focus on something other than his career for a change. Dan knew his nephew was considering leaving his SEAL team for a stateside position. Maybe if he had someone waiting for him at home every night, the decision would be easier to make. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 3 of Take the Money and Run. Malone Brothers Book 1, written by Samantha Cole. Search for Samantha Cole on Amazon.com and Audible.com for more great titles that she's written. 
I've had the privilege of narrating several of these titles for Samantha Cole, and you can find them on audible.com. Just search for Donovan Cain or Samantha Cole. I'll be here for you tomorrow as well with Chapter 4 of Take the Money and Run by Samantha Cole. Until then, be safe, and I wish you well.